Thanks, Jessica. Good morning, guys. Um, so I want to, again, just welcome everybody to Sunday service. I know we have a couple people joining us for the first time uh, this morning. I think Twee and Ken, this is your guys' first time on a Sunday. And my parents are also here, except for my mom who wandered off somewhere. <laughs> so I'm excited to have them joining from California. Um, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of James. Um, so I'm going to invite you guys to join with me and turn to James chapter 4, because we're going to keep going through the book of James here. So today we're going through James uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Isaac, you ready? I gave Isaac fair warning this time that he would be reading. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have Isaac read it for us, and you guys can follow along. Amen. Amen. So I like this passage because James um, kind of starts off by identifying a couple of issues right off the bat to his audience. And he says like, hey, what's causing all of the problems and the fighting among you? And he points out that, you know, you want what you don't have and you kill for it. Like you're actually like trampling upon other people because you want to obtain something. And he kind of calls out this nature inside of us that's self-seeking and steps on others in order to obtain what we want. Um, and I was just kind of uh, convicted of this thinking about it because the other day my, I took my parents to Hawking Hills to um, hike around and see Old Man's Cave and a, a few other things. And normally, like, if you go for a hike, there's not a whole lot of people there. Like, it's nice and clear and open. You're not, like, waiting in a really long line. But there were so many people there for summer crammed into this, like, narrow little pathway that... I had started a workout on my Apple Watch, and it actually, I was going so slow in line that it thought I had stopped. It's like, would you like to end your workout? And I could feel myself getting like more and more frustrated, like, ah, we need to move. And there's that like kind of like impatient sort of like, up oh, 11 o'clock, thank you, um, impatient sort of like rage really within us that just kind of wants to push others out of the way so that we can get what I, what we want. And James is touching on that here. Um, but the second thing that he kind of identifies is that actually one of the reasons that we don't have is we don't ask, that we don't, or in my translation, it says we don't pray. Or the flip side of that, like maybe you do pray, but he says, or you pray wrongly um, with you pray with the wrong motive, that of wanting to indulge your own desires. 
I um, love looking at the Greek for these words because when he says you pray wrongly, the definition for that is the same term that's used for like someone who is sick or diseased. Um, it's like there's a sickness in the type of way that we approach prayer sometimes. He says, because you want to, um, the word is consume, basically you want to squander, expend, waste, incur expenses on your desires. And the, the root word of desires there in the Greek is actually like the same root as hedonism. So your, your pleasures, your sensual delights, you want to squander it on yourself. And so I think like in that verse, as I was reading through it, I was like, man, like what a picture of the prodigal son. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son who, you know, the father had two sons and one son was very faithfully serving and working hard with him. And the other son, before the father had even died, came up to the father, demanded his inheritance, which is like a slap in the face, kind of like saying, I wish you were dead. Give me my money and I'm out of here. And he took it. And what did he do with his money? He squandered it. He squandered it on reckless living. And so I feel like in, in James here, he's almost painting this picture of sometimes when we approach God, almost as, as the prodigal son did of, hey, give me this. And then we squander it um, on, our, on selfish desires. And so something that I want to kind of draw our attention to this morning is that Jesus, anytime he talked about asking, it was almost always connected to relationship. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And sometimes we kind of just stop there and we're like, all right, ask, receive, seek, find, knock, open, right? But he goes on to say, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so I love that Jesus connects this like idea or concept of us asking him for anything with his goodness right? Like it's not meant to be separated um, from, from that. And that, you know, like if, you know, my parents are in town this week, if my dad came to visit, but all I did the whole time that we were here was just ask him for money or just spend his money, he'd be like, I'm not coming back to this place, right? Like, but sometimes we do the same thing to God. And God is like, God's saying like, hey, like that's, I'm not endorsing that. Like I'm not, you know, just kind of giving, like that's, that's not pleasing to me. I want a relationship and I want conversation here. And one of the beautiful byproducts is that when, of asking is that when we ask of God in prayer, it's meant to draw us to a person and not just to a result, right? And the as we spend time asking, like as we spend time fellowshipping with him and communing with him, the more time that we spend for him, the more we realize that whatever that thing is that we're asking of him or asking for is secondary because actually he matters the most. And not, like the rest of it is small in comparison to him being our inheritance, our portion and our reward and just that enjoyment of him gives us the freedom to be like, all right, I'm going to ask you for this. But if you say no, like, it's okay. I'm okay. So like, we're still okay. Um, 
so I love, I love that, that he calls out, James calls out that type of prayer that is just kind of neglecting or ignoring the relationship with God. But Jesus um, encourages us to ask why, because our father is good and he wants to draw us to his heart. James goes on to the next section, and in some of your translations, it probably says, you know, adulterers and adulteresses. Um, in mine, it says, you unfaithful wives. That's kind of interesting language, right? Like, if I'm going to insult somebody, that's probably not the first thing I would pull out. Like, you know, like, like I'm not going to look at Daniel and be like, Daniel, you unfaithful wife. You didn't do your dishes, Right. So why, why does James bust this out in this context? Um, and I want to suggest that he's drawing attention to the fact that God is our husband. Um, sorry, my slides are a little mixed up. So we love, I love Hosea chapter 2. It talks about, in that day, declares the Lord, you will cause, call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy." I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So we see here that now James is pointing out a greater problem of just us kind of having selfish desires. He's pointing out, hey, like this is a problem because God is your husband, and he loves you wholeheartedly, you know? Um, I think, you know, like, there's, it's interesting too, we see like throughout like scriptures, we see this command that we are to love God with all our heart. It says in Deuteronomy chapter six, this is the Shema, where it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Jesus uh, so James points out in James 4, hey, if you want to, if you love the world, you're actually hating God. And Jesus points this out in several different examples, one of them being that you can't love God and money. Why? Because both of them demand all of your heart, right? And you can't split your interests. Ken and Twee, how long have you guys been married? 30 years, praise God. 31. <laughs> So if, praise the Lord. So if, you know, let's say uh, if Twee were to be like, Ken, I really love you, but I also love so-and-so, right? Then she's really not loving Ken at all because her interests are now split and divided and she can't truly love one wholeheartedly, right? And that's the same thing that the Lord says in, in regards to our hearts is that he's created us in such a way that we are called to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and we only find the fullest function of our being and every other relationship flows out of that overflow. Um, we only 
love the Lord. Like we, we can only love other people and other things well when he's in the center. And I think, I think of uh, the puppies sometimes. I love Shalom, right? Our dog, Shalom. She's not even my dog, but I love her very much. But when I look at Shalom sometimes, I'll be like taking her out in public and I'll recognize that some people are very intimidated because she's a German shepherd. So she looks kind of scary, right? Even though I know she's just kind of like she's just happy, like kind of derpy dog, right? But if I see that someone is afraid of Shalom, I will like, nope, all right, sorry, we're going the other way or I'm going to put you inside. Like I'm not going to put her above that person. And but here's the deal. If Shalom were the center of my universe, if I had put Shalom in such a place that I had idolized her and she's the center, then if we're going out in public, I'm like not worried about other people and am I offending them with my dog? All of a sudden I'm offended because you don't love my dog the way I do, right? So there's a difference and it seems subtle, but the, the truest and fullest expression that we're called to in the love of God is to have him front and center in all things, that we would love other people well outside of that. All right. And the, the last kind of closing um, section that James addresses here is he said, God opposes the arrogant, but to the humble he gives grace. Therefore submit to God. Moreover, take a stand against the adversary and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Clean your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Wail, mourn, sob. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Um, I like this section because it he gives us like a very prescribed way of like, what do you do when you find these things, these quarrels and fights, these desires and battles raging inside of you? What do you do with that? You know, like, how do you handle your heart? How do you carry your heart? Um, and the, the prescription is to simply humble our hearts and draw near to God. And I love that that's the solution. And I think one story that embodies this well, just the heart response that the Lord is looking for, is the story that the parable that Jesus told of the tax collector and the Pharisees. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14 with me. Luke 18, 9 to 14. It's interesting that the that Luke 18 is often a chapter that's known for prayer. Um, but Jesus gives this example. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think um, when I read this story, like it challenges my heart that like, I'm like, God, like I want to respond like the tax collector, not like the Pharisee. You know, the Pharisee is, is in the place of worship and he's looking at the other guys like, God, thank you that I'm better than this guy like next to me. Like, and Jesus says, nope, like you didn't go back justified after that prayer. Like, but the guy who humbled himself and said, have mercy on me, the one who trusted not in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of God and the mercy of God to cover him was the one that was justified. Um, and I think we see this same theme echoed uh, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, and we had spent time talking about, like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because most of us physically are very wealthy. You know, like, even though, like, in this room, there's maybe varying degrees of wealth, like, all of us compared to the rest of the world are very wealthy, right? And so that poverty of spirit that looks and sees the gap in between us and him and says, God, I need you. Like that is, that is what the Lord says, like, that's it. That's all you need. Like, um, to humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up and, uh, to draw near to God so that he would draw near to us. I want to, um, take some time now just to go into a a time of response. I'm going to invite Priscilla and Joseph to come on up.